It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, it's Erin. Just a quick note, a quick correction from this episode, because it's an embarrassing thing. Um, I say in here that Spike Lee is an avid Lakers fan. That is not true. <laughs> it's actually the New York Knicks, um, which I guess actually recently has been in a feud with them, but I'm going to put that aside. But I just wanted to make that quick correction in case somehow um, it gets back to him that I said that. So I apologize to all the Spike Lee fans out there. I made an error there. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this week's episode where we discuss love and basketball. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of It's a Fandom Thing. This week, we're going to be talking about the 2000 romantic sports drama, Love and Basketball, which turns 20 this year. Um, but before we get into that film, I want to just have, a, I just have a couple of brief announcements. Um, once again, we are now taking sponsorship, listener support. The easiest way to do that is you can click, there's a link in our podcast show notes. Uh, you can also go on our Anchor webpage, and you should be able to join there as well. Um, you can support us for, for anywhere from $0.99 cents to nine ninety nine a month. And like I've said before, everything that we um, see from that, every dime, will go to Black Lives Matter organizations through at least October 1st. It will probably get extended again because I want to be able to raise as much money as possible. Um, and also – you know, we have ads now or one ad now, and all the revenue from that ad ad will also be going to Black Lives Matter organizations through at least October 1st. But once again, that might get extended. I do still want to do an auction. I know I keep saying that and saying that. I'm now aiming for August for that to happen. So it'll be like fandom memorabilia. Um, Carla also has something really neat that she's offering. Um, and like some people have like signed memorabilia from like supernatural, that kind of stuff. So it'll be just a lot of cool little items. I'll be auctioning off an opportunity for people to be on a podcast episode of their choice. So it'll be one we already have scheduled to be done and you can be on there. Um, so that, that'll be another cool item, hopefully that people will want to bid on and all of that will go to various Black Lives Matter organizations as well. Okay, so before we get into love and basketball, um, I'm not going to go around the room because I just have one person on, just like last week. <laughs> so I have my good friend that I've known for basically ever since I was five, and she was on our Queers Folk and Sense8 episodes. So Joyce, if you want to just let me know one thing in pop culture that you're excited about right now. Yes. Thank you for having me on, Erin. It's always fun to do these with you. And um, I really am excited to do this movie uh, because there is 
somebody in the movie that has my last name, which I didn't realize until I started watching the movie. And I was like, McCall, that's my last name. So um, that was a fun surprise. Um, but what I'm into right now, I really like this podcast called Unruffled. And it's a parenting podcast, um, which sounds maybe really boring, but it actually is really great uh, because it's by a woman named Janet Lansbury who does respectful parenting and she just answers questions from parents on how to how to handle different things. And I really like it because I just think it's really important to treat children and animals and everyone with respect. And she kind of gives really good ways to do that. Um, and I think especially now during the time when so many parents are like homeschooling and trying to go to work and yeah. do all the yeah. things, it's really easy to get overwhelmed and anxious and frustrated with your kids. And um, so much of what we do with them when they're young gives them an emotional imprint that uh, lasts for their whole life. So if we can be kind to them and respectful, then they learn how to do that as adults. Um, so I just think that's a great, a great listen and helps impact the world in a positive way. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I, I haven't heard from it, but I heard of it, heard of it but that's probably because I'm a parent. I'm not a parent, I mean. I'm not a parent. <laughs> <laughs> a parent of doggy. Yeah, yeah, that's a little different. <laughs> Like right now, I don't know where my dog is, but it's okay. I mean, he's home, but I just don't know where he is, but that's fine. Sometimes <laughs> I'm like that with my child. <laughs> well, and what I'm into is nostalgia, basically. Um, last weekend, I watched Poltergeist, um, which is on Netflix right now. It's streaming. And that was the first horror movie I ever saw when I was a kid. I was babysat. And I don't know if you, I think you were there, Joyce. I, I swear. Was. I think, yes, you were there. I'm like, I thought you were there. And it's really, I should not have been watching that. We should not have been watching that movie. No. So we, <laughs> me. I had nightmares for a year. I don't know how wow. old we were, but we were young. Yeah, we were really young. <laughs> and I think if I had seen that movie as an adult, it probably wouldn't have scared me as much because it still is creepy. I mean, I watched it with, with my sister, Emma, um, and we were kind of laughing at things, but I don't think that would have happened. Um, I, I don't, but I know I wasn't laughing when I was a child and the clown, the clown is still terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I, I have not watched that movie in years. And I think it's because it scared me so much when I was young that now even even if it is a ridiculous movie and it was silly, like it is silly, I'll never know because I'm not going to watch it again because it was too <laughs> That's what I'm talking about with emotional imprinting with children. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I watched way too many horror movies as a kid. That's why I have very weird fears and phobias is because of that. I mean, and I love horror films. I love them. But I really do think that it was bad that I watched him so young because I also had a babysitter that showed me the shining and I didn't even realize it was the shining. I just always remembered the blood coming down the elevator and I didn't even realize that's what I had watched until I watched the shining later. And I went, Oh my God, this is the movie. My babysitter showed. That movie is so scary. (laughs) 
Yeah, I saw that on the big screen um, last year, actually, which was really cool for its anniversary. And that was, wow. that was pretty awesome. Um, but something else that's not scary is Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, it's cheesy as all get out. But so that is such a such a show of like my you know, my childhood, my teenage years, all that stuff. I dreamed of being on that show. (laughs) I was like, it'd be so much fun to just go up and down the aisles. So that's another thing that's, you know, like, like I said, I'm just all about the nostalgia. And then the other thing I know I'm recommending more than one thing, of course, um, (laughs) is um, Netflix has unsolved mysteries on now it's a new it's a reboot of it so it's not like they're re-airing that but I used to love that show as well and that show used to really sometimes it would really freak me out some of the unsolved mysteries that would be on there because I know you know I heard I was listening to um, a great podcast that I've mentioned before keep it and they were talking about this and one of the panelists I can't remember who it was said her keep it was to unsolved mysteries coming back because she said it's so frustrating because you know you're never going to get the answer to what happened <laughs> to these people. <laughs> so it's frustrating to watch it, but but it's but it's good. And they it's not as um, they don't have as much of the reenactments in there like they did originally, so it doesn't have that cheese ball factor to it. But so yeah, so I'm reliving a lot of my childhood and teenage years. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's just kind of all happening. So yeah, so. Netflix is where it's at for me this week. <laughs> at least they tell you in the title that it's unsolved and that's you know true. from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> okay, so let's get into love and basketball. Um, and of course, we're going to be spoiling the movie. Um, but let me give you a brief little synopsis of what the movie's about. If you don't know what it's about and you're still going to listen, um, Love and Basketball is a 2000 American romantic sports drama film that was produced by 40 Acres and a Mule, which it, Filmworks, which is Spike Lee's production company. Um, and it stars Sanaya Lathan, Lathan and Omar Epps. And the film tells the story of Quincy McCall. <laughs> <laughs> which is Omar Epps' character, and Monica Wright, which is Sanaya Lathane's character. Um, and they're two next-door neighbors in Los Angeles, California, who are pursuing their respective basketball careers before eventually falling for each other. So it's that typical, you know, they kind of dislike each other in the beginning. Um, then they become boyfriend and girlfriend when they're kids for like two seconds. And then they end up... And then it, you know, goes forward to when they're teenagers and in high school and just about to graduate and they're best friends. And then, you know, they basically have been in love with each other since they met kind of thing. Um, but it's also the film marks the directorial debut of screenwriter Gina Prince by Prince Bythewood, who right now has a movie on Netflix, which I have not watched yet with Charlize Theron, who, and it's a kind of like a superhero movie. Let me get to the name of it here again so that I don't, Ruin the name here. Um, but just so you know, she also did um, The Secret Life of Bees in 2008. She also wrote the movie Beyond the Lights, which is a great movie, despite the fact that one of the guys that stars in it is an absolute scumbag. Um, the Old Guard is the movie on Netflix right now that she directed, which is an action film. Um, and I know she's very excited that she got to do this, that film, 
Um, I was just reading an article, an interview with her. So she's done a, a wide variety of things. And I really wanted to highlight this film because, um, you know, I wanted to highlight a black creator, especially a female creator, especially someone who's writing and directing and working behind the scenes. Because as I've said, uh, we need um, that we need more representation, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera, because that's where a lot of the change can happen. Um and it's it, and I wanted to highlight this because it's great to see a love story uh, with two black leads and really a predominantly black cast. Um, and you saw a lot of people that you know went on to have big careers, um, you know, like Regina Hall, um, who plays Sinai Lathan's Monica Wright's sister. Um, okay, so let's get into the movie a little bit more, um, Joyce. When did you first see this movie and what were your first impressions of this movie? I first saw this movie last night. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I had never seen it before. Um, and uh, I actually had never heard of it before, but I watched the trailer of it and I was like, oh yeah, this seems like right up my alley. Cause it's like, actually I don't usually like uh, romantic movies. Um, I say that, but then I end up watching them a bunch. So <laughs> I'm in denial, maybe. Um, but I just, I, I liked the premise of it. And um, even though it seemed a little formulaic in like the, you know, the friends falling in love kind of thing and that whole dynamic, it still seemed interesting. And there was a lot of depth to it that, that, uh, I found really interesting and thought provoking. So I liked it. Well, good. Well, I'm glad that you liked it since you're on the, <laughs> on the podcast. Talking yeah. about. I mean, it would have been fine if you didn't, but, <laughs> but that would have been an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I saw it on video. I'm sure it was on VHS cause that was 2000. So I didn't have a DVD player then. Um, but yeah, I rented it. I know that because I had heard about it. I had heard, good things about it. And I, and I love romance films. I, I'm a sucker for those. I think I actually watched this with my mom because my mom is the biggest, biggest, biggest sucker for romance films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm tempted to, she listens to this. So if you hear this mom, um, I'm tempted to <laughs> have her on a podcast someday to just talk about Hallmark movies because <laughs> She will watch those nonstop. She loves those. So she just, she likes stuff, you know, that makes you feel good. Um, that's not really dark. That's not really overly depressing. Um, but this, you know, this movie does have, you know, a lot of the tropes that most, that a lot of romantic films do. You know, the friends to lovers trope is used over and over and over again, not only in film, but in TV it's one of my favorite tropes. So that's probably why I like this movie. Um, and that's a lot of couples that I ship are friends to lovers. Um, I also like the enemies to lovers and there's a little bit of that in this movie as well. Um, so that's probably why, I, why I liked it so much, but also there's a lot of other stuff going on in this film. You know, it's a lot about, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff about, women and their place in in not only the in the home as well because you've got these two moms that have very different sort of relationships with their kids and relationships with their husbands and um, I'm talking about the mothers of of the two main characters 
Um, and so you see a lot of that. And then you also see, you know, you've got this female, this woman who wants to be a basketball player and the sexism behind that when she's trying to do that. I mean, you have the very first scene in this. She goes up to join um, Q, is they call him Q in the movie, but um, Omar Epps' character as he's a, as a kid and goes up to him and his friends and she wants to join them to play basketball. And they think that she's a boy because she's got her hair up in a um, in a in a baseball cap and, you know, and they're also of course thinking, Oh, well, women don't play basketball. And then she takes her cap off and her hair comes down there. Oh, she's a girl. Girls can't play basketball. So it, there's also that there, you know? Um, so it's not just a love story. It's not just a romance. It's also very much about um, getting away from the, the stuff that you are supposed to be um, breaking out of sort of that shell, breaking out of uh, going beyond what people's expectations are for you. Um, And I think that also applies to Q as well in the movie. Um, Yeah, but I think that's a lot of what it's also about. So let's get into the characters. Let's talk about the two main characters first. Um, We're going to talk about Q and Monica or Quincy, but Q is how they call him. Uh, what are your thoughts on Q and Monica? Um, so one of the interesting things about it is uh, how differently they're treated right from the beginning. Um, so that that is just blatantly obvious from the very beginning of the movie um, about how Monica is trying to play basketball and just be herself really. And she's kind of condemned for that from everyone. Um, But she continues to be fierce and to fight for being herself. And to the point that people call her over emotional basically and tell her that she needs to get herself in check if she wants to follow her dreams. And um, so I really admire that about her and Q is kind of the opposite. Like everybody just caters to him and he kind of can do no wrong. Like in the beginning, they get in a fight as kids basically. And it, and it kind of sets up the dynamic for their relationship where they're like, they, she beats him in basketball and then they, he pushes her down and like physically harms her. And it's like, you know, nobody, none of the adults address that. He, they kind of show him saying and writing a note to apologize, but then, like, he basically is like, "This is too hard. I don't want to do this." And and his dad doesn't like talk to him about like his behavior or anything like that. He's just like, "Don't ever say can't. That shouldn't be in your mm-hmm. vocabulary." So there's not a lot shown in the movie of like reprimanding Q for being emotional and being really kind of over the top. And he's always supported for following his dreams. And it's kind of the opposite for Monica. And he is really kind of emotional and, and he really fights with her in the beginning. Like he Mm -hmm. injures her more than once. And it was kind of surprising to me because it was never really addressed as like, problematic it was just like there was some sad music that played in the background and then it was like nobody really talked about the fact that 
you know, they were fighting and she fights back and she stands up for herself. Um, but throughout the movie, there's this theme of Q just doing no wrong. Like he can't, he can't do any wrong. He's messing around with multiple women and his mom talks to him about it, but not in the context of like, Hey, maybe that's not honoring your body. Maybe that's, you know, or whatever might be another issue besides, Oh, these women are after your money, you know? And, and so it's just really interesting the way that they're so differently treated when actually you look at their behavior and it's very similar. They're both very passionate people and they both really love what their dream is and they want to follow it, which I think is why they're so connected and why they have such a kind of love hate relationship. (laughs) Um, So in some ways that made me, uh, not respect Q as much as Monica because he kind of got away with everything. And like his big struggle in the movie seemed to be, um, you know, how can I be rich and famous in my dream and not get taken advantage of by women who just want my money? Like that was his big struggle and also not follow in the footsteps of my father. Um, was the impression that I got. And for Monica, it was like, how do I just be myself and, mm-hmm. and follow my dream and not just everybody kept constantly trying to make her pretty. And the only time her mom ever really recognized her was when she perceived her as looking pretty before she went to the dance. So that was like her only value was, can you be pretty? Can you get a man? Um, so I found that to be a really interesting dichotomy and I, and I really admired Monica for holding her ground. And even though like in the end she got her scholarship because she was able to check her emotions, it still, it still didn't seem like she dishonored herself by doing that because it was in pursuit of her dreams. So I admired that about her. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Very inter- and very interesting, and I, I, I see a lot of that. And I think a lot of that um, really is a reflection of society um, and the way we treat women who are pursuing some dream that is outside of what maybe they're supposed to be pursuing, especially if it's something like this where she's dreaming of being a basketball star and she doesn't put a lot of stock in like makeup, say she doesn't put a lot of stock in wearing dresses. She doesn't put a lot of stock in being a quote unquote typical girl, um, which may seem like an outdated thing to talk about, but I think it is still, still relevant today. I mean, no matter what people say, this is still relevant. Um, you know, you still have, you know, groups of men who get angry because women aren't fitting what we've been told women should be. And I think that's a lot of what this movie is talking about. And also, I think with Q, the thing with Q is he is trying not to be like his father, yet he's a lot like his father. It's this weird thing where he's like doing this push-pull against his father because I think he really wants his father's respect. You see that a lot in the in the child version of him, more so than in the adult, I think. But you see that he wants that respect, but at the same time, he has this deep 
I don't want to say hatred, but this anger at his father. He's so angry at his father because his father is cheating constantly on his mom. You know, I mean, his father is not very good to his mother, um, constantly lying to her. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a very, very unhealthy relationship. And that's what Q has kind of been brought up around. And so I think that's what he wants to fight against yet he goes towards it. It's like this thing where he's like, no, I don't want to be like my father yet. He becomes his father in a lot of ways, except for, I think he's a lot better of human being than his father um, in the end. But he does have that, you know, I mean, he gets injured. Um, he tears in a- his ACL in a game. Um, you know, it's, he kind of, it's funny because he gets everything handed to him yet when he starts to achieve his dreams, it's like things start to fall apart for him personally. Um, it's almost like it's not completely what he wanted. Um, it's not completely um, what he thought it would be, I guess, would be the words for it. Um, and I think there's also some jealousy that he has towards Monica. And I think you see it when they start dating, when they, cause they get together, um, after prom, they get together. They basically, they, on prom night is when they first, um, have sex. And so it's kind of like, once they get together, he has this weird jealousy of her because I think he wishes he could be as free as he perceives her to be. Because when you see them in the beginning, what what I think is so interesting about their first couple of interactions is she's basically like, I'm not going to put up with any of your shit, dude. I'm I'm not going to put up with any of this. I don't care. I don't have to, you know, listen to you because they have this whole scene where, you know, after she's injured and, you know, his mom, Q's mom goes over there to, to Monica's house and, you know, the moms are talking and then the next day, um, you know, they're going to ride their bikes to school together and they're getting on their bikes and Q's like, so you want to be my girl? (laughs) She's like, well, what does that mean? And they're going over what that means. I mean, it's a really funny, sweet scene. And, you know, and then, and then he's like, okay, we'll leave your bike here because since you're my girl, I'm going to, you're going to get on this bike with me. And she's like, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. You know, and it's just, you immediately see that she's like, uh-uh, I'm not going to be your woman kind of thing. I'm not going to be your property. No. And they're little kids, but she still is like, uh-uh. So they break up within like a minute. So, <laughs> I mean, they have a little tiny kiss, like a five second kiss. They even count, you know, Q even has his fingers up. <laughs> five. I know. I love, I, love, interaction. I love that scene. I love how pragmatic he is. He's like, this is what this yep. means. If you're my girl, <laughs> we have to do these things and we have to count to five while we kiss. And then and she goes along with everything until he tells her she has to ride on the back of his bike. And she's like, no. Yeah, it's so <laughs> funny because it's because also I love that he's like, you know, if we have a fight, then I have to get you flowers. <laughs> She's like, I don't like flowers. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, I love that scene because, and it sets up perfectly their dynamics and how their relationship will be. And yeah, it is interesting that there are some physical things. I mean, he does push her down when they're playing basketball. Um, and then he pushes her down again when she 
says she won't ride in the back of us and they break up basically. I mean, you know, when they're kids. So there is a little bit of that that's never really talked about. What I did think was interesting though is Monica, after she gets pushed down and she's got, you know, it ends up being a scar that she has left on her face from when Q pushed her down. You know, she's looking at herself in the mirror um, and her mom had been taking care of her and then her mom's talking to her dad saying she shouldn't be doing this. She shouldn't be, you know, playing and doing all that stuff. And the dad, which this kind of surprised me how um, open the dad was to her playing basketball. I thought that was a really interesting twist to have there. But anyway, the dad's like, no, it's okay. And you see her look in the mirror and you see this little smile come on her face and I thought there were so many different meanings to that. I don't think it was it was really because she smiled because this boy pushed her down. I think it was more she's like, I'm an athlete. I think she thought of it as a sign of being a basketball player. That here I am. I've got this little you know cut now. I'm bleeding. This is a sign that I am a real basketball player. I don't know. Did you take it that way? Because I just thought that was an interesting little scene. Yeah, I kind of took, yeah, I thought that was interesting too. And I kind of took it as that she was, she felt tough. She felt strong and she felt, yeah, validated in a way. And like, no matter what anybody told her, she knew she could take the punches and she, and she'd be all right. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I just thought it was, excuse me, sorry. I just thought it was a really really good scene um, and showed a lot about that character just yeah. in two seconds time without any words there. Um, so uh, let's get into, before we get into a little bit more of their relationship together and how the characters grow, let's get into the parents because I think the parents are a very, very important part of this movie. Um, so what are your thoughts on uh, both of the sets of parents? Yeah, so I'll start with Q's parents. Um, it's really interesting because when you first see them in the beginning of the movie, they seem really in love. Like they're kissing a lot and they seem really happy. Um, but then almost kind of right away, the dad has somewhere to go and the mom is upset. And it's revealed as it goes on that, you know, they have a fight and the dad accuses the mom of being basically a gold digger and, and wanting to be financially secure. And like, that's all she cares about. And she responds that she just wants him to spend a weekend with her. Like she just wants him there. Um, and I just love that Q sneaks out of the house and goes and sleeps on Monica's floor every time they fight. Like I just, I, I definitely can identify with that feeling of like having a home that doesn't always feel safe and having somebody else's home to go to that does yours um, when we were kids, <laughs> you know? And so that's just such a powerful, meaningful thing because it's like he always depended on her for that. And so that's really interesting. But um yeah, it's kind of sad. His parents are really kind of sad because you can tell how much the mom wants to connect with the dad. Um, but I also got the impression that the things that they were saying to each other were true on both ends. You know what I mean? That like, yeah, she probably does really want that financial security. And that probably was, 
you know, a factor for her. Um, but then as the movie goes on and he cheats on her and it's really obvious, you know, that they, she got pregnant really young and, um, you know, she's really devastated. And when they divorce, she's really happy that he's not there anymore. Um, and it doesn't really reveal very much, but she's moved on and she's with somebody else and she really does seem happier. So it's not totally clear if she really was missing that connection and that was the only thing happening, but I just got the impression in all the fights in the film, there were, there were grains of truth in what everyone, all the characters were accusing the other of. Um, so I just thought that was kind of a sad example for Q, that relationship, uh, because it, it basically is like emotionally unavailable, physically unavailable, uh, which is neglectful, you know? And so his dad was neglectful of his family. And I thought it was really powerful at the part in the movie when Q was injured and he basically asked his dad, like, why are you, why couldn't you ever be the man that you were always trying to make me into, you know? And that really is such a powerful thing because I think that happens a lot with parents where we try and direct our children and, and mold them into something that we want them to be, but we are not embodying that ourselves. And and they don't listen because they don't do what you say. They do what you do. They follow your example. And so, it you know, it's just ends up being devastating for him. And you can really feel the sadness on both ends because you can see that his dad really did want to be that for him. But he didn't have access to it. He didn't have the capability. And so he was trying Um but yeah, that, that was really sad. And then for Monica's parents, um, I, I thought that was so powerful, the fight she had with her mom, where she was like, you just basically did everything for dad and you never stood up for yourself and you had no identity and it informs so much of who Monica is because she's like totally the opposite of that. <laughs> she's like, I will not do that. I will not change who I am or give up my passions just to please somebody else. And especially not in a subservient way. Um, and so it's the same thing. Like you can see that her mom truly perceived as herself as being there for her children and being honorable and being proper, or I forgot what she called herself. Do you remember? I don't oh, know. I can't remember. It was like, I don't know, Chrissy or something like that. Um, But she thought that that was a good thing to do. She thought even though she was almost collapsing to the point of collapsing, if, if the dad came in and said, can you iron both these shirts for me? She would do it, you know? And it was like, you put everyone else before you, especially your husband regardless of the cost and then what kind of example is that for your children it's once again not embodying what you want them to do which is care for themselves nurture themselves honor themselves like of course um 
And so I like when the mom slapped Monica, I was just like, that was really hard to watch too. Um, but you could see that she really thought she was standing up for the truth and, and what was important. And then you could see that when Monica was like, you only went to two of my games and that was really how you could have showed up for me. And you didn't show up there that it didn't even occur to her to support Monica in that way. She didn't even register it as a worthy thing. And it was like Monica's whole life and her, it really defined who she was. So, um, yeah, in a lot of ways, both of them were neglected, even though their parents were there and they didn't have a very good example. Um, but it did inform who they became, I think. Yeah, very much. Yeah, I agree with a lot of a lot of what you said. And um, what's interesting about Q and and his dad and and when you said the the thing about parents wanting their kids to become basically not them, and wanting to mold them into a different thing. I remember once um, my dad always wanted to actually be a writer. My dad wanted to write sci-fi, and that was really his dream. And um, he wrote a couple of things, sent him off, got rejected and gave up and stopped doing it. And he said he always regretted – my dad was in Vietnam and he said he always regretted when he came back that he didn't use um, the money – you know, the, the education, the free education he was going to get, that he didn't use it to go and study writing. And instead he went and studied a trade. Um, and he said to me once that he really wanted me to be a writer because he wanted to live vicariously through me. Wow. And so I think that's, that's, so that kind of goes to that. And, and it's funny because I don't always, I sometimes think about that, but I don't always, I mean, I haven't seen my dad in over 20 years, but I do remember that very, very, very distinctly. Cause I know that for my dad, he grew up in Chicago and he grew up with a very much a, a blue collar family worked in, worked in factories, all this stuff very, you know, you didn't show a lot of emotion. Um, you know, you would see that when I went to my grandmother's funeral and they, they're Catholic. And if anyone knows Catholic funerals take days, there's a lot of stuff that you do. And it was an open casket, which I didn't know it was going to be. And I, you know, I was in high school at the time and I just remember, you know, here, there's my grandma in a casket right there and most of the family with the exception of my grandfather are just acting like this is normal it was such a weird experience and it really really informed me because I didn't I don't know my dad's side of the family very well but it really informed the way I I saw my dad because I because my dad I think is a very emotional person and an artist but he didn't grow up in a family that embraced that and and allowed that and so I think and this just kind of just what you were saying about Q reminded me of that and so I think with me my dad was like oh okay well I can live vicariously through you and I think for um, Q's dad his big thing was education you know he wanted Q to go to college he wanted him to get an education he didn't want him to just be a star basketball player and I think it was because his dad realized that all that fame, all that fortune is very shallow and you don't get a lot of meaning from that. And 
you only have a certain amount of time that you can be that person because your body will give out or you age out of that. And, and will you be able to last in that? And will you be able to have a family that lasts? Because, you know, he was not a very good father and his family was falling apart. So I think that was a big thing with him is he just so didn't want, he just did not want to see Q go down that same path. But I don't think he knew, he didn't know how to show him. Like you said, Joyce, that example of this is how you be a good man. This is how you be a good father. This is how you be a good partner. This is how you be a good husband. Um, and he tried to, on the surface, show him that with his whole never say can't thing. I think that was his big thing of trying to show that was the, you know, I can't say can't. And there's the whole scene where Q says, I thought that, you know, we never said can't like the whole scene where, you know, he says that. And, um, so I just thought it was a really, really interesting relationship. And Q's mom, I always felt so bad for his mom until she finally found her happiness. Because I think even though in the beginning, the first scenes you see of Q's parents, they seem all lovey-dovey and really in love. But I could see this other thing beneath it. And I think part of that was, you know, you could see it when just the mom said, you know, oh, well, I thought, why are you going off to work? Why are you doing that? I thought this was completed. And it was like what was said underneath the words was like, okay, I know he's lying to me, but I don't want to accept that he's lying to me, but I know he's lying to me. You could kind of tell that and sense that. Um, And then with Monica's parents, you know, Monica's mom, played by the great Alfre Woodard, who we'll get into the performances a little bit because she's just, she's so incredible. She really is. She's just such a great actress. And there's so much pain in her character. That scene where her husband is asking her to iron both the the suits just in case he wants to wear one and not the other to iron both of those shirts. It's like you see this brief flash across her eyes of like pain and regret. And like, am I even here? I think that's a lot of what she went through was, am I even here? It kind of reminds me in a way of, stories that my mom would tell me about my grandma and my grandma growing up growing in my mom growing up in a house where my grandma, you know, she took care of everything and she took care of my granddad and she took care of four kids. And, you know, my mom was an army brat, so they were moving around all the time. So it was a lot on my grandma's shoulders and my grandma never complains. She never complains. She just, she's got this Southern thing too, but she just never complains. And I think that was also in, um, Monica's mom's character was no I just I can't complain and I kind of could see that her character maybe would go to bed at night and cry you know if she was alone if no one could see her I could see her kind of breaking down and doing that and and um she doesn't really know herself she doesn't know who she is she's kind of she's lost herself as a wife and a mother and that's her identity is completely wrapped up in that and she has no individual identity you even saw it in her first interaction um with Nona um Q's mom you even mm-hmm. saw that like she's like trying you know Nona's trying to relate to Camille uh, Monica's she- mom and she's just like oh how, yeah i don't you know she doesn't really get how to relate how to really tear those walls down and be um be more than this I don't want to say Barbie but like this stoic perfect mother perfect sitcom mother 50s mother kind of figure Um, and I think she's kind of jealous of Monica in some ways because 
Monica is like not like her. She's like, I am not going to be like my mom. I am not going to, you know, throw my life into just being a mom and a wife. I am going to have an identity. I'm going to pursue a dream. And I think Camille wants to embrace that. I think she really does deep down, but she doesn't know how to because she's never embraced that in herself. And so I think there is this, this jealousy there and you really, it really comes across in the performance. I just think, I think that's one of the best performances in the whole film Um, because there's so much to that character. I would like to see a whole movie about her and her growing up and her childhood and how, and how she came to meet her husband and what maybe her dreams were before then, you know, um, you know, her husband, Nathan. So I, I would, I would love to see that. Honestly, I think that would be a really interesting story too. So. Yeah. That's so perceptive, Aaron. Wow. That's like, every time you talk about characters, I'm always like, Whoa, I didn't even see that. You're so <laughs> insightful about it. Oh, thank It's just, it's my movie geek and screenwriter actor thing in me. I think that comes out. <laughs> well, you definitely have a gift for it. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, let's talk about the performances then, since we've already talked about Alfre Woodard a little bit. Um, what are your thoughts on the two lead performances and then any other performances you want to talk about? Um, I thought they were great. I thought uh, they all did a wonderful job. I really liked Monica's character and I thought she did an excellent performance. Like, I don't know. You just really could see her passion and her drive. Um, and Q, I, I thought he did a really good job because he was, you could see he was trying to be cool and like not show his emotions. And so he did a really good job portraying somebody who was emotional underneath. And you could see it and you could see that he was like, trying to hold it together. Um, Especially when things started falling apart for him. Like it was okay for him to be happy uh, and to be almost cocky. And, you know, that was fine, but he couldn't be sad and he couldn't be, it was okay for him to be angry too. But if he was sad or like vulnerable or something like that, that wasn't okay. Yeah. Um, And he, he portrayed that really well. Um, yeah, so I thought both of them just did an amazing job. Are there any other performances that you want to shout out to or talk about? Um, who else? Well, Tyra Banks, obviously. She was so, <laughs> I thought it was so funny that, like, they made fun of her. Like, she, w- like, she wasn't good enough for Q. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> um, Obviously, Monica's mom was extraordinary. She did really good. All I think all of the performances were really well done. There was no point in the movie where I was like, oh, you're acting. It was like I was so into the movie that I really didn't even think about the performances actually until later. And I was like, wow, that was really good. Um, which to me is a sign of a good performance. Like if I don't even think about the fact that they're acting, they've They've drawn me in and it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, I want to give a shout out to another movie that 
Sanaya Lathan has been in. If you're a fan of romance, I think this is a really good one. I like her in a lot. It's called Something New from 2006. So I'm just going to give a quick shout out to that because I think that's a really, really good love story. Um, it's a very interesting one. She's really good in that. Yeah, she she does uh, vulnerable really well. Like she does like uh, vulnerable where it's it's not always there. Like you're kind of, like she keeps trying to hide the vulnerable. Um, you see that a lot with her. Um, and the whole scene where her and and Q where they have sex for the first time, her face during that whole scene I thought was really beautiful to watch because. She is so vulnerable in that scene. And it's not just because they're having sex. So, of course, she's being she's vulnerable and it's it's her first time. And so, yes, she's being vulnerable. But there was this other vulnerability there where it's like she has been in love with this man since they were kids, really. I mean, and she is finally with him and she is letting go of all of that, um, you know, toughness that she would put on to kind of keep him away to not you know so she would protect herself and not be as vulnerable to the fact that she had feelings for him and and here she was letting that all down and I thought that was really beautiful to watch her face during that scene is is really really kind of incredible I think um and Omar Epps I've I've always liked him a lot I think he's a really good actor um, I think he also is really good at the vulnerability. And I think with this character, you have to have that vulnerability, even though he has the ego and, you know, the bravado, um, there's still that little boy in there that, you know, is fighting all the time to get out and to be loved really. I mean, cause he's loved, he is loved, but I mean, loved in a deeper way. Um, if that makes sense. So you would always kind of see that with him, um, especially later on in the film. Um, and we'll get to the final scene of the film because the final scene of the film is pretty, pretty historic. A lot of people quote it, you know, um, the, the line that Monica has, which we'll get to that because it's, it's a pretty memorable line. Yeah. I thought he was great. Um, and I want to give a shout out to Debbie Morgan, who plays uh, Q's mom, because Debbie Morgan is, if you don't know who she is, she uh, is actually, she's best known for being a soap star. She's, it was in Young and the Restless, which I never really watched. I think it was Young and the Restless. Yeah, I never really watched that soap, but that's a lot of what she's known for. She's done other things, of course. Um, but, oh. And she was on All My Children as well. Yeah, but I think she was, I thought she was on uh, Young and the Restless. Anyway, um, she's been in, of course, she's been in a lot of other things and people know who she is. But she, um, you know, I think too often people, soap actors, um, don't get a lot of credit for being good actors, which I, it's understandable. I've watched soaps my whole life, so I understand. A lot of that is the scripts. But a lot of soap actors are theater actors, you know, and they do soaps because most soaps, at least they used to. It's different now, I think. But most soaps film in New York. So you do that to get money while doing theater. Um, and she does she she her character has such an interesting arc because she's kind of like this independent, um, you know, she tries to be all independent and happy and you know, cool and hip kind of is the way I kind of viewed her in the, in the beginning. Um, but there's this pain underneath that because of her relationship with her husband. Um, you know, this 
man that I think she deeply, deeply did love, even though she wasn't happy in that relationship. She really did love him. And so I think her, she's kind of, Q is kind of like her in some ways too, where she has this outer, you know, layer of like, I'm just this really, I'm okay with everything. Everything's cool. I'm, I'm hip. I'm happening. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a great, I'm, I've got it all together. When inside she's kind of, you know, she's kind of like a hurt little kid in a way. Um, And then you see her get out of that and you see her become her own person and you see her find a healthy relationship. So I think that was really good. And I've already praised Alfre Woodard. So I'll mention again, please watch the movie Clemency on Hulu because her performance in that, Oh, the fact that she did not get an Academy Award nomination is infuriating because it's probably one of her best performances ever. And it's a very important film. So I just want to shout that out again. So yeah, she plays a, um, a warden in, um, at a prison um, and it's all about the, it's all about death row and she works with a lot of death row inmates and it's a very hard movie to watch. It opens up with an execution. So it's, it's very hard to watch, but her performance and a couple other performances in there is amazing are amazing. Um, and then Dennis Haysbert, you know, this is kind of a different role for him in a way, you know, now you kind of think of him as the all state guy. <laughs> together that's so funny yeah I mean it's kind of like that's the way I always think of him now you know Allstate I I remember my sister and I are watching this movie it's so bad it's on Netflix it's a Netflix movie but it's very much a lifetime movie um and it's called Secret Obsession (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a Showtime movie Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's lifetime. Yeah. It's lifetime though. It's very much a lifetime movie. And he's a detective in there. And we kept saying, we kept quoting the Allstate commercials because it would have fit the whole thing. We're like, (laughs) you should really talk about insurance. (laughs) Anyway, but I think this is such a, if if you associate him with that and kind of, um, this is such a different kind of character. I mean, of course it's different from the Allstate guy, but I kind of (laughs) I associate him with a lot of like detective characters, that kind of stuff. And so this is a very um, different thing for him. I think Um, I could be wrong, but I think it's a little bit different. And he is, you know, he's so successful, you know, he's plays for the Clippers and he's this successful basketball player and he's got all this fame and attention and you see him, you know, signing autographs and all this stuff. But there's this loneliness there, I think, with him and this regret that he, you know, that he, as we've mentioned already, you know, puts on his um, kid. And you see a lot of that in the performance, because once again, this is another performance that kind of has that bravado where underneath it all is like this just deep sea of regret. Um, And so it's really interesting watching him. I thought he was really good, too. And, yeah, the whole cast is really, really good. Um, Regina Hall is always amazing and she plays, um, Monica's sister, you know, so she's, she's always incredible. Um, another one I want to call out for her. I'm going to mention a film. Sorry. I'm going on all these little tangents here. This movie called, uh, support the girls that she did. That's on Hulu as well. And it's basically, you know, this movie about it's, it's kind of a small movie, but it's, got a lot of heart and she's really good in it and i really really recommend watching that it's 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 not nearly it's not anywhere in the vicinity of clemency as far as um 
in the heavy range of stuff that I've recommended. So anyway, um, but yeah, the whole cast is great. I think I thought they put together a really good cast. Um, you can tell they probably had a lot of fun filming this. I don't know that for a fact, but to me, it seems like they had a lot of fun making this movie. Um, and yeah, I don't, I, I didn't, I can't think of one performance in here where there was like a lot of falseness there. Um, yeah, I think everybody is, everybody's good, including the kids. The young versions of them are really good too. They were good. Yeah. They were really good. They were really good. So, okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, well, first, before we talk about the ending, I want to just briefly, this wasn't on the outline, but I mentioned this before. I want to talk about the music in this movie (laughs) because I love the music in this movie. Oh my God. The music is just Oh, I was looking up the um, soundtrack stuff because it's just, it's so great. I mean, it starts with, it opens up with um, Love and Happiness performed by Al Green. And then it goes, yeah, it was so good. And then um, the uh, Candy Girl by New Edition playing. Then when they're playing basketball, oh, it was just so wonderful. Just every song in this movie is awesome. And, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit, the the version of uh, Kate Bush's song, This Woman's Work by Maxwell that played when they, when they first have sex uh, is a really, really good song as well. Um, so what do, what do you think about the music? I love the music and I was having so much fun singing along to all the songs. It like totally brought me back to, you know, when I was listening to that kind of music and um, it made me go on to Spotify and like, get the soundtrack and I was like this is great I'm totally gonna listen to this it's so good it definitely that movie is so good at setting like it was just so good the clothes were amazing the music was amazing all of it really represented that time and like what was cool I enjoyed it so much yeah it was really fun yeah, and I, I agree about how the music really set the tone because um, music is a very powerful tool to be used in film. Um, I've said it before. I am Music is number one for me. It just always will be. Um, and music just sparks so much emotion and, and, you know, scores can spark emotion, everything like that. And, and I think the placement of the songs in this movie is really, really well done. Um, and I don't know, I should have done research on this, but I don't know if uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood, um, if she has this thing about music already, because she has another uh, movie that she did um, that I mentioned in the beginning, um, Beyond the Lights, because Beyond the Lights is all about a, a female pop star, and it's all about music. Um, so yeah, so that, so I don't know if that's, maybe that's a thing where she's just really, really, uh, knows how to use music and knows, um, how powerful it can be. Um, and I think, I I think it plays a really good role in this movie. That's why I was like, when I was watching it again, I was like, oh my God, we have to talk about the music because it's just, it's like one of the best soundtracks, I think, of of any movie. Yeah. I definitely agree with you that it's not only the type of music that they chose, but the timing of it is excellent. Like sometimes when you watch a movie, the music 
starts or stops at a time that isn't really congruent with the flow of the film. And I think they just did such a good job because even, even in the scenes where they're like switching to a scene where it's really loud and everybody's dancing and there's loud music, it flowed really well. And it just became a part of the film. And it, and it almost was like another character in the film. It wasn't background, but it really, really added to it. And it didn't detract from it at all. It was really well done. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And I'm going to have to, I am, can't believe I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to have to add everything into my Spotify playlist <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and ladies, um, the ones that I don't already have, definitely going to be adding those. <laughs> Well, let's talk about, um, we've talked about their relationship already, you know, Q and Monica, but let's talk a little bit about um, their trajectory and how, and how it went and, and their chemistry. And then, of course, the end. I think it's really important to talk about that ending scene. Um, so what did you think about their relationship overall, their romantic relationship and their chemistry and everything? Um, I was surprised by it actually because I thought I thought it would be like a typical story of like they really love each other but then they break up and then they get back together and they break up but the trajectory of what happens with their characters really surprised me um, because she was finally able to fulfill her dream and do what she wanted to do. And he kind of didn't quite get there. He didn't get to the place that he thought he would, even though he ended up playing in the NBA. And um, once he was there, it wasn't as fulfilling. Um, And the thing you said about him being jealous of her is so interesting. Like that didn't even occur to me at all. Um, But it's really, really evident. That's really true. And so the whole time there's this, feeling of her just really wanting him and wanting him to see her for who she is and to really like understand how much she loves him. Um, but not being willing to tell him, uh, and then him being like jealous of her and not able to give her that. Um, and so I don't know why I thought, their relationship would be different than that, but it's just a little more, it was a little more complicated and a little more um, filled with, I don't know what the word is. Like it wasn't filled with like, I hate you, but it was filled with like a lot of clashing. Um, And it was kind of uncomfortable to watch (laughs) in some parts. Um, Yeah. it wasn't just like the typical love story where it's like I'm in love with you but it's not reciprocated or the timing is off or anything like that it was like it was always available to them um but they they didn't there was too much of that other underlying anger or jealousy or whatever that was and it didn't really seem to go away (laughs) like even when they were dating they they got along a lot better but there was still this like undercurrent of like him expecting her to give up her dream in order to be in a relationship with him and she never had to ask him that ask him to do that because it just wasn't he was never put in that position like he and so um 
yeah, it was kind of hard to watch in that way. And then when in the end, when they end up together and they have a baby, it's like it's implied that kind of all that stuff went away, which is interesting. What do you think? I'm so curious. <laughs> um, well, you know, like I said, I'm a sucker for the trope that they use of this where um, it's the friends to lovers, the enemies to lovers. It's a combination of that with them. Um, and I think there is always this tension with them um, where it's like, it, it's, it's kind of like the, um, it reminds me a lot of uh, Moonlighting, the show Moonlighting <laughs> with David and Maddie, which was like my first really big ship. And they had that same kind of tension where they were always fighting, you know, they were always fighting with each other and yelling and screaming at each other and screaming at each other. And underneath it all, you just felt like they just wanted to rip their clothes, each other's clothes off, which I think really was what it was. Um, and I think with that one, it was also a lot of behind the scenes stuff where those two did not get along at all when they were making that. So, you know, so I, and, and so I think with Q and Monica, you had a little bit of that too, where there was always this butting head and tension and, and it was there from the beginning, but there was also this other thing where like, with the fact that Q would go and sleep on her floor when he was having issues at home where she was his safety. Um, and even though he had that jealousy when they started dating, um, she still was the safety net for him. She was like home to him, I think. And I think he was like that to her too, but she didn't realize that until the end because she didn't realize that until she got all her dreams. Her dreams were coming true and it wasn't everything she wanted. She still right. wanted him. And so her life wasn't complete with having that without having him there because he was home. Um, I think, you know, there, there could be an argument made that there, this isn't a very healthy relationship in some aspects because um, I think with Q what happened is when they got in a relationship and they first started dating before they broke up, it was kind of like when you get that dream and the dream isn't everything you wanted it to be. Like he wanted to get her and then even though he respected that she was an athlete and a basketball player, I think he kind of just expected that all to go away because that's what he saw and witnessed. And even if it wasn't, even though he voiced it, I think there was also this subconscious level to it where he's like, okay, now we're together. So now your world's going to revolve around me. <laughs> right. um, and this is the way it should be. I'm the man. You should, your world should revolve around me. So, you know, there, there is an argument, I think, to be made that, that it's not necessarily a healthy relationship. But I think the point when they do get together, I think they both have kind of realized, um, you know, that they are not complete without each other. But at the same time. I don't know, this, this might may not make sense and may not be exactly accurate. But at the same time, they can survive without each other. And then I think that's when they kind of come to the realization of realizing that they need to be together. It's like this thing of like, we can, you, we can be partners and still have our own separate selves. And at least that's my wish and hope of that's what really <laughs> happened with them. So it could be just me putting that on the film and going, that's what happened. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> because with Monica, with the whole, with the famous line that she's, you know, where she challenges him to a game. This is right before he's going to get married. So I do want to point that out. That's kind yes. of, it's kind of like, it's his poor fiance. <laughs> I know. They like never address that. They're just like, well, they're finally together. It's fine. Yeah. It's interesting that when she does do that, he accuses her of having the whole world revolve around her. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very true. Yeah. And I think he thinks that throughout the whole film. I really yes. do. I think, and of course she thinks the same of him and yeah. they're very, very similar in a lot of ways. And right. yet there's kind of different, but you know, she has the whole famous lie in there. Where he's like, well, what were we playing for? And she's like, your heart. And her voice cracks when she says it. And yes, it's a line that's used a lot. I don't know if you had ever heard that line before, Joyce, but it's a very, had you? No, I never no. had. No. Yeah, because it's actually a very, it's a very, very famous line from this movie. It's the one that everybody knows the most, I think. And it actually was in the trailers. I don't think they should have put that line in the trailer. I know. Yeah. But, you know, but then, of course, she loses the game. And then he's like, you know, let's have a rematch. So it's like his way of saying, you know, here's my heart. And then, of course, they get together. So I think in the end, I think the significance of them playing each other like that, playing each other for his heart, for love, for being together, and for him to basically ditch his fiance. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the significance of that is that they've always been kind of competitive and they've been competing against each other this whole time in a lot of ways. And here's their last competition, but it's a different kind of competition. It's like finally being like, okay, we're not going to compete with each other. We're going to come together and kind of join together and work together. And I think that's why it's so important that Q says the rematch thing, you know, challenges her to another game because it's kind of like, he's like, no, I, I know I won, but I didn't really win because of what I wanted to win was you kind of thing. I don't know. I'm a cheese ball maybe, but <laughs> that's the way I read it. So while I think there could be an argument to be made that it isn't the healthiest relationship. And I was listening to another podcast a while back and they were talking about this movie in depth and talking about how Q is kind of a jerk. Um, <laughs> when you watch this movie, like when you first watched it, you kind of excuse that, and now you really see what a jerk he is. So that's why I say it's probably not a healthy relationship. And I do worry that he probably cheats on her, to be honest. Um, but I like to leave that aside and live in the fantasy world of going, nope, they live happily ever after, they get over <laughs> all that crap, they come together, and everything works out perfectly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I'd rather think that. Um, Okay, well, let's get into a little bit of, um, well, let's first, um, I know you said you don't don't know a lot about about the writer and director, but what were your thoughts just about the screenplay in general, like the writing for this? Um, I thought it was really well thought out. And there were so many different dynamics that represented so many bigger issues in society and in personal relationships. Um, So I really liked that because I thought 
not only did it tell an interesting story um, about the relationship between these two people, but it told an interesting story about, you know, their parents and um, like Monica with her sister. And, uh, you know, there was just a lot there and it, it was, there was so much to speak to in, in the movie. And it was really entertaining. And like I said, at the beginning, it was really thought provoking. So and it was also really fun to watch. There was a lot about it that was funny and lighthearted and authentic. Yeah, I think it's a really, really well-written script. I think she is a really, really good writer, um, Gina Prince-Bythewood. I think she's a really good writer. She writes um, all her characters. I think a lot of times you'll have like the side characters aren't as deep and don't have much to them. And she doesn't do that. She really realizes all her characters. She breathes life, life to all of her characters, uh, which I think is, think is really good. And I think that's why she is such a good writer and a good director too. I think she's a really good director. She has a really good eye. Um, she really knows how to get a good performance out of, out of her actors. Um, and you can tell that. Um, I would assume, and I don't know this for a fact, that she's probably very respectful of her actors. Uh, you can, I, I, I think, a lot of times when you see really good performances, I, I and it's, this isn't always true. I know this isn't always true, personally, but I think when you see good performances, sometimes it's because you have that support behind you, um, because there's a lot of vulnerability you have to do in this film. Um, I mean, it's not like a deep, deep, deep film, but there's still vulnerability there. Um, so I think I, th- I think she's really good at that. Um, and and um, I just want to say it's really sadly it's it's rare, um, and even in the world of romantic movies, it's rare to have a lot of women behind the scenes writing and directing, especially women of color. Um, so I just want to give a shout out to that with this movie, um, because I think it's really important that people are represented in all stories. Every story needs representation. And like I said in the beginning, you need that representation behind the scenes too. Um, which leads me to the person who, well, basically I just want to say really quickly, this script did spark a bidding war after a reading at the Sundance Institute. Um, and Spike Lee won that bidding war. And I do want to acknowledge that, you know, because Spike Lee um, already has a big foot in the door um, in this industry, even though he still struggles to get every single film that he gets made, he still struggles to get it made. Um but he still is powerful and does have some influence. And I have to say, I think that's a lot of the reason this movie got made was because Spike Lee stepped up. Um, and I want to say he was, he's a big basketball fan. If you don't already know that he's a huge basketball fan. He's can see, be seen it. Um, I believe he's a LA Lakers fan. Forgive me everybody. If I got that wrong. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go to his page really quickly and double check that. But he was his big thing was he wanted the female lead to have believable basketball skills. 
And so Gina Prince Bythewood, who you know wrote and directed it, said that she saw over seven hundred people for the part, both wow. actors and ball players, and people who had never acted before in their life. And it came down to Sanaya and a basketball player named Nisha Butler, who was a star player at Georgia Tech. Um, and it basically came down to she put Sanaya with a basketball coach for two months and Nisha with an acting coach. So it kind of came down to deciding who was going to be better. And I think the basketball playing looks really real and realistic as much as I know <laughs> about, about basketball. Um, I actually used to play basketball when I was a kid just for fun. I would play even though I'm short, 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 but I still would play because <laughs> I think it's fun to play basketball. Um, but yeah, any, sorry. Um, but I just wanted to do that little bit of trivia there. Um so do you want to add anything about Spike Lee in general and um, what it means to have someone like that support um, a movie like this or to help other people or to put get, kind of give them a, a foot in the door in a way, even though she had written before this, but to kind of give them a foot in the door? Yeah, it's so... It's so interesting. I didn't know that about Spike Lee, that he still struggled to make all his movies because, you know, he's made a lot of movies and um, he has quite a following, I think. Um, And so that's really just speaks to how much the industry is who you know. And unfortunately, you know, that it's very competitive and it really, I don't, I don't know that much about it. I know you know a lot more about how it works, Erin, but so I can't really speak to that in a completely informed way, but I do know that like, because of how things are going now, a lot of people have access to using their voice and being heard in a way that wasn't available before. Uh, For example, this podcast, right? Like Mm -hmm. we can reach people now in a way that we couldn't before, which is really cool. And there are people, you know, getting famous, doing videos on YouTube or TikTok or, you know, starting podcasts. So I think that's really cool um, because the power is being dispersed in some ways. And we can use our voices in different ways. And granted, we don't all have the tools that, you know, big Hollywood filmmakers have. um, But we still have the potential to do that, which is really cool. And yeah, I mean, you can tell that there's a shift because there are like with the Me Too movement and like people are at least talking about this now. And I think historically it wasn't even spoken to. It was just, this is the way it is. All the movie makers are men. They're all writing the scripts and, you know, there's no people of color. There's no women. um, And we're just going to write the scripts the way we think that they would behave. (laughs) in our own imagination, (laughs) which is, you know, sometimes very entertaining because it's quite laughable um, in some cases. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's imperative that we use whatever privilege that we have to lift each other up and 
give people access. And so I think it's really cool that Spike Lee, you know, helped get this movie made because it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I, I think it's trying to change, but I, I still think, like we said on our last week's episode, our last week when we talked about Get Out, which um, if you haven't listened to that, I really just want to, I'm hyping up my own show. I know I realize <laughs> that, but I, but I still, I think that was a very, very important conversation that Carla and I had on that because that movie delves into so many things that are so relevant for today. I mean, it came out only a couple of years ago, but, um, and to, it relevant to today's conversation right now. Um, and like I said in that, you know, that movie got nominated for best picture, Jordan Peele won for best screenplay, but even though that looks like it's changing things, there's still so far to go because you still have stuff like I mentioned Green Book and The Help and stuff, movies like that where they're supposedly telling black stories, but they're not really. They're telling them from the viewpoint of a white person. You know, they've got the white savior trope in there. Sure. So even though I think certain things are changing like you've got black panther that came out and you've got stuff like that still at the same time you've got um oh gosh why am i forgetting his name right now i'm gonna look anthony mackie you've got anthony mackie uh just recently speaking about the marvel films and how the russo the russo brothers responded saying yeah he's right and anthony mackie basically was saying um why is it that the only time i've ever seen black people behind the scenes of a movie was on black Panther. And that's the only time I saw it on a Marvel set. And he's been in a lot of, you know, Marvel films. Um, you know, why was that the only time I saw a bunch of uh, more people of color behind the scenes than you normally would, you know? So it's like, it's still going on. It's still this struggle and this fight. And the Russo brothers said, yeah, he's right. We do need to be more aware of that. But those people, they're two white men who have so much power in Hollywood right now. I mean, Marvel is huge. So what we need more of is we need more white people saying, yeah, so we're going to step aside. Black people get to tell their own stories. We're going to insist that we have more people of color behind the scenes. We're going to write that down we're going to write writers that insist on that happening we're going to make pledges and we're going to stick to it and that's the big thing that you know that needs to happen because the fact that spike lee who's been making movies for over 30 years i mean like i said do the right do the right thing comes out you know is going to turn 31 um and we're doing our episode next week on that and it turns 31 that weekend um the fact that he still struggles to get the the stories that he wants to get made says something, you know? Um, and I think part of that also is because Spike Lee isn't making necessarily movies that on the surface seem like they will be big box office hits or anything. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also part of it. Um, and that's another thing to look at too um, is, you know, I'm a fan of independent films. So, I'm more of a fan of independent films than I am of big, big blockbusters, even though I like those too. But we have to find room for those smaller stories. I mean, Love and Basketball is a smaller story. Um, and I feel like I've lost my point along the way here. But <laughs> Well, I, uh, not to interrupt you, but I no, think what you're saying about um, listening and stepping aside to listen 
to other people's perspective and giving them the platform instead of just being like, oh yeah, this is important. Black lives do matter, but not making any actual change and not giving away your freaking microphone, man. Like you have had the, you've had the platform. Invite more people into the room. Allow other people to use their voices. And that is a huge thing that needs to change in all the media. I mean, in journalism, in everything, all of the platforms. And so uh, there's so much that needs to change. But for myself, one of the biggest things that I am trying to do is just listen. And that, I think, is the most powerful thing that I can do with my privilege. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was, what I was saying. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think, that's what I hope happens more. And like I've said before, you know, white people, we need to do more. Um, and we do need to step aside and listen. And, um, and we also need to take action, you know, like I, like I said last week, and I've said before, just tweeting out the hashtag black lives matter and changing your profile pic isn't enough, you know, um, you've got to put money behind it if you can. Um, you've got to speak out when you see microaggressions, when you see racism in any form, white people, we need to speak out. And it doesn't matter if that person is your brother, mother, best friend. It's important that we do that because I don't think we can call ourselves true allies and true friends and true human beings if we don't do that. So, um, yeah. And I think that's how we slowly start to make change, you know, because we have to also grow and learn and, um, learn where our biases are and learn where we have room to improve because we all have them. We all have them. You know, it's ingrained in us. Um, and there's stuff that we don't even realize we have, you know, and it's just there and we kind of have to just slowly come to terms with it and, and learn from it and grow from it and change and, um, you know, be better humans, really, you know, so. Yes. Well said. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Um, and. Joyce, I know you don't want to be found. It doesn't mean she doesn't love everybody. <laughs> People can find me um, on my business page. How about that? There you it's, go. Uh, it's all beautiful beginnings. That's my business page. So people can find me there. Um, and I do parent coaching and um, do a lot of stuff with that respectful parenting and emotional imprinting of kids. So Awesome. Wonderful. And I will put that link in the show notes. I'll put the website. Thanks. So, you're welcome. Um, and this is Aaron. You can follow me on Twitter at E April beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one on Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. Um, if you have any feedback or just want to shoot us an email, um, our email is it's, it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. 
Um, and if you have anything you would like to say about Love and Basketball, Get Out, any of the movies we've talked about, um, any of our past episodes, you can reach out to us via Twitter or Facebook. Feel free to do that. Um, I welcome all feedback. Uh, and then also please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you have that. And also subscribe. Um, you know, all of those reviews and stuff help us get found in that big wide world of podcasts. So that would be great. And then as a reminder, you can support the show uh, for as little as 99 cents a month all the way to nine ninety nine a month. And once again, all of that money from now until at least October 1st will be going to various Black Lives Matter organizations. And next week, as I briefly mentioned, we are going to be talking about Spike Lee's film do the right thing which as i've mentioned a couple times but i just keep mentioning it because i just keep wanting to remind myself how old this makes me feel i guess (laughs) Um, (laughs) as it turns 31 and it's a very very important film and i think it's very important to discuss right now um and then we are also keep an eye out um we're going to be doing a netflix watch party for the five blood spike lee's latest joint so we're going to be um doing that i I'm going to try and do it um, this coming weekend, uh, maybe the 16th or 17th or something like that. Um, I am – oh, also, just a little shout-out um, to Nerd Alert News, uh, who's – they're doing a virtual convention, a virtual con, and I am probably – it hasn't been solidified, but I'm probably going to be co-hosting one of their panels on the 17th. So just to let you guys know that – So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.